Episode 118 on Judging Others The scriptures caution us about judging others. A person's assessment of another must be honest, thorough, and with their own selves in view. Examine yourself before judging others is the watchword. What is your motive in judging? How does your own life measure up to the world? An incident in which the woman taken in adultery was brought before Jesus sheds a lot of light on this topic of judging. His handling of this situation is beautiful. Here's Jeff. Good morning. And grace and peace to you. Truly amazing grace. We can grasp. Grasp what God has done through His Son. Constantly striving, learning, and growing. I want to talk about this morning, as you can see, judging others. We're going to start there in Matthew 7, 1. The scriptures have a lot to say about judging others. Whether you want to use the term evaluating or assessing, but this is what it's talking about in light of the Word of God. <clears throat> we find... Uh, Individuals everywhere in Scripture making moral and ethical assessments of other people and uh, of other nations, in fact. And God himself does this a lot. Uh, there are numerous Scriptures which provide warnings and guidelines about judging others. And in fact, we are even told to examine ourselves, aren't we? Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. That's something we should be doing regularly and very carefully. See if we are following the word of God. Matthew 7. I'm just going to read the first verse. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Uh, anybody ever throw that one in your face? Don't judge me. Judge not. Sorry, but that's not what that means. Because if we read verse 2, what's it say? For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, we measure to you. You see, verse 2 automatically assumes you will judge other people, right? It automatically assumes it. So the warning is one is about how you judge, and be careful about just going around judging people. That's the point. And that's what we're going to talk about in this lesson. It's about one's attitude or standard used when we judge or look at others. Verse 3, and you can see this, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? Do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is warning about being overcritical and just looking for something wrong in other people. It's an easy thing to do, and it's an easy habit to fall into. It really is. All we look at in other people is what's wrong with them. It's such a bad habit to have. So we have to be very careful about that. 
You ever been around someone who is just constantly nitpicking other people's flaws? And how uh, you just you just hate to hear that. That's all they can think about. What's wrong with somebody else? Jesus said in John 7:24, "Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment." In other words, what things really are. That's the way to judge. We're going to look at an example in John chapter eight about judging, a great example, and I don't know if you've ever looked at this incident in Jesus' life from the standpoint of judging others, but I think it's a very good uh, picture here of how to judge and how not to judge another person. John 8, I'm going to start with verse 2. Early in the morning he came, meaning Jesus, into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And as I read this, I just had to ask myself this question. I'm going to share it with you. Why, why did people keep coming to Jesus? Yeah, I know they came because they needed healed, but there isn't any indication here of that. He had this message, this wonderful message about a kingdom of heaven and the need to repent and the good news of a Messiah to come and so forth and so on. And then even his person, he was compassionate, truthful, loving, bold, honest. You could, you could tell he really cared about people. It seems he stirred the longings that were buried deep in people's souls something that they knew they needed, knew they had to have. And they came to hear. And as I was thinking about this, you know, we're not Jesus, obviously, but we are to walk in his footsteps, and we are his disciples, and we are his representatives, aren't we? We are the salt and the light. And I just had to ask this question, are people coming to us because they perceive that we can help them find what they need in life? Are we that kind of people? Do we exude that kind of hope and joy and love and compassion? Is that coming through us? You know, if we're complainers, you know, nothing's ever right. If we're fearful about this or that's going to happen, if we're worriers, if we're negative, gloomy, is anybody going to come around us? You see? What message do we have in word and life that people will want to come and say, what do you have that I don't have? So that's just kind of a little aside here, but... You know, people were coming to Jesus, and, you know, uh, it's who he was. It's who he was. Anyway, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground. This was a ruse and a setup from the beginning. Jesus is in the temple teaching people. Have they no shame to come into the temple with this woman under these circumstances? You can see their hearts from the very beginning. And I was even wondering, you know, I wonder which court of the temple Jesus was in. It probably wasn't the court of the, of the women, you know. They might have even violated the local temple laws by bringing her into the place where Jesus was. I don't know. It's a good possibility. Anyway, truly there was a law requiring stoning of those who committed adultery, and we're going to look at that later on. And evidently the woman was guilty. There is no dispute about that. She was caught in the very act. Jesus doesn't say anything about that. In fact, at the end, he kind of figures, yeah, you were guilty. So I think the point is here, when Jesus doesn't respond to them immediately, is, if that's the case, why don't you handle it? Right? You caught her. There is a law that says she should be stoned, so why are you coming to me? You know, we know they were testing him, right? So we know that's why they did it. You know, we oftentimes as people just, we want to pass off the responsibility to somebody else, don't we? We see something wrong, and what do we, do we help correct it? No, we, we call somebody else and say, oh, this is broken. Why don't you get it fixed? This, need, this person needs help. Why don't you help them? We like to slough it off, don't we? Anyway, let's look. They were judging this woman for the wrong motives, obviously. She was guilty, but they were using her. They were abusers of their authority as religious leaders, using it to destroy Jesus. Scribes and Pharisees, lawyers, abusing their authority. They were abusers of the law itself. They were using it to try to trip up Jesus. And they were very much abusers of the woman. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about her life or her soul. She was a pawn to be sacrificed to their desires to destroy Jesus. Try to put yourself in her situation. Can you imagine how humiliated she was? I, I can't, you know. I, I think it's beyond me. First of all, that she was caught. And secondly, that they drag her in here in front of this crowd and in front of the Lord. 
and say, you know, here, here she is, she's guilty, what, what should we do with her? I can't imagine that. In Ephesians 6, 17, the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. We know that. It's, Paul is writing about the armor of God and to put it on, take up the sword of the spirit. But the word of God is not a weapon to be used to destroy people. Have you ever heard it used that way? Sadly, I have. It's not what it's for. The word of God is a sharp sword. We read that in Hebrews. But it's helped to convict sin and to cut the sin out of a person's heart and life so they can be healed and become the person that God wants them to be, to be forgiven. That's what it's for. It's a sword for good, to destroy evil, not to destroy people. It's interesting, we know everybody debates, what does Jesus write? We want to note that this is his response to their question. Let's read this without the information here. In verse 5, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women, what then do you say? But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground. You see, I think this is his response. He said, this is so convoluted and messed up, and you people are so sick, I'm not even going to respond. No one knows what Jesus wrote. We can only speculate, and evidently, you know, some people say, well, he wrote it for the benefit of those there, but there's nothing to indicate that they read what he wrote. There's nothing at all to say that they saw what he wrote. So we don't know. But it's just his response when they ask him the question. The new King James even has there, as though he did not hear. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> As we would say today, seriously, th this is what you got. You're actually doing this right here in the temple with this woman. What kind of people are you anyway? Whatever it was he wrote in that whole response, it showed Jesus disgust with them and the whole situation. Let's look at verse 7. But when they persisted in asking him, you know, they wouldn't stop. You know, he's just writing on the ground. He's got his head down. It's like, all right, you guys can leave whenever you want. They keep asking, what do you say, Lord Jesus? What, what should we do? What do you say about this? He straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You know, they probably wish now they hadn't persisted. Because they get Jesus' real response to the response that was needed in the situation. 
Here's my answer. The one of you that has no sin, you go ahead and stone her. Get it started. To me, these are some of the most beautiful words Jesus ever said. Some of the most beautiful words he ever spoke. They stopped these self-centered hypocrites dead in their tracks and they brought hope to this woman. And Jesus' words here at the very center of this issue of judging, no one, Don already alluded to it in our little mantra, no one is without sin, right? Nobody. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Nobody's without sin. Any sin brings condemnation if it's not taken care of before God. And he's really saying, what is your real motive here in judging this woman and finding her and dragging her in here? You know, there's the whole, as we would say, what's the backstory here? How did they happen to find this woman anyway? Did they know she had been doing this for a long time? So they said, well, let's go get, uh, you know, this lady, whatever her name is, and we'll just grab her tonight because we know she's uh, running around and we'll bring her in and see what happens. Wow. <laughs> you talk about misusing somebody. I don't know if that was the case, but somehow they caught her. Let's go to Leviticus 20. I said we were going to look at the, at the law on this, at the word. Leviticus 20 and 10. And they were right. There is, there is a law. It's on the books. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Death. Violation of marriage covenant under the law of Moses. Of course, again, we re recognize, as so many others have, where's the man? Where's the man? You know, he's not here. Again, it just shows that these people were just using this. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the law. All they wanted to do was get Jesus. And it's a terrible thing when we have a passion like that that just blinds us to the truth, blinds us to what's in our own hearts, what should be there. It's terrible. But they were so caught up in wanting to get Jesus. So there's the law. But in the previous chapter in Leviticus 19, and I... Again, you know, we totally speculate here. Did Jesus write this law first, and then did he go back to 19 and write this? I don't know. But, it's, but it makes you wonder. Leviticus 19:17. You know, this is in the law, too. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. <laughs> Wow, how about that? 
They hated Jesus, didn't they? How's that for starters? You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And of course, in other places in the gospel, Jesus said, you know, that's the second greatest commandment, isn't it? To love your neighbor as yourself. They kind of missed that one, didn't they? Which one is Jesus saying trumps the other one? Stoner with stones? Or lover as yourself? Let's look at verse 9. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Wow. Again, I wonder what she was thinking at this point. She's alone with Jesus. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. She was probably surprised, I think. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Here's the difference, and there's a couple differences here. You can probably see them. Here's the difference in how they judged. These men saw a lawbreaker who needed punished, and they were going to use her to get to Jesus and really ignore everything else that was in the law. That's what, how they judged this woman. Jesus saw a sinner who needed forgiveness. That's what he saw. The difference in their hearts. These men used her to accomplish their own selfish ends. They loved themselves, first of all. Jesus offered her a chance to repent and change her life. Jesus loved her. He loved her. Jesus didn't believe she was innocent. I don't, you know, it's, it's quite plain. He says, I don't condemn you. He was taking them at their word that she was guilty. But she, he saw that she needed forgiveness and encouragement. I go and sin no more. This is the heart of judging. What do you see? Another sinner is caught up in a situation, a lifetime, that they haven't been shown the truth and struggling, and they need help to be extricated from that, the power of, of the gospel, the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit to be set on the right track. 
where you just see people that, oh, these people are worthless. Look at that. Look at what they do. That's all they do is commit evil deeds, evil acts, speak vulgarities and profanities. That's all they do. We can't help judging people. We just can't help it. But we have to judge with the heart of Jesus. What do we see when we judge others? We can't avoid it. We pray that our hearts are clean and pure like his so that we can judge faithfully, honestly, and righteously. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. We all have sin. Jesus is the remedy for sin, his blood, even as was read by Brother Brad before the table. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, precious blood, a Lamb without spot. He's the only one who's sinless. He offers to us his righteousness so that we might be free of sin, cleansed of sin, become right with God, and begin to walk with him, that we might help others find the way and someday live with the Lord. If you're ready to accept Jesus as Savior this morning, we can help you with that, that you can be baptized into him and be free of sin. If you are a Christian and you're struggling with judging others, you don't have the right heart, then you really need to change and start seeing people out there as caught up in sin, caught up in the snare of the devil, and that they need to be freed. We can pray with you this morning. If Whatever your need is, please let us know whether you want to come up or on the way out. Our brother Don leads us. Thank you for listening today. For more information from Jeff Kent and the Shadyside Church of Christ, please go to our website at cfcshadyside.com. There you can access our entire library of Sunday church lessons and Jeff's weekly blog. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook under Shadyside Church of Christ. Thanks again and have a blessed week.